Good morning. Happy anniversary. I'm uh, bringing greetings from Coffs Harbour Bible Church and uh, best wishes for um, this special day. It's really wonderful to see another year of ministry here um, in Grafton and it's a blessing. Your church is really a blessing to us. Um, I bring apologies from the rest of my family, the better looking part of my family. <laughs> they weren't able to get here today. We were all ready as of yesterday to all be here, um, but some, uh, one of our girls got really sick yesterday, um, and so Lil has to stay home with them. She was really looking forward to catching up uh, with people up here as well. So um, apologies from them, but they certainly would have loved to have been here. Hopefully we'll be able to catch up a little bit later in the year. This morning, if you will, uh, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to take uh, two messages from this one passage, one this morning and then one a little bit later in our 10.30 service. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, quite a well-known passage, um, but certainly a passage that's fitting for a day that recognises service. And uh, perhaps it's a day on which we can check our service and the motivations for which we serve the Lord. Um, it's a blessing to serve the Lord for a long time, but uh, also when we've been serving the Lord for a long time, it's good to make sure that we're still serving the Lord in the right way. So let's have a look at Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to read the first eight verses by way of introduction this morning, and uh, then we'll take a look at some thoughts from the passage. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Let's pray and we'll come out time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can be here this morning. We're thankful, Lord, that we can come and meet in a church service where we can recognize that our Savior is risen and we can come and, and worship you, Lord, for all things that are ours in Jesus Christ today. I pray, Lord, that as we meet around your word this morning, that you would help us, Lord, to give it its due attention. I pray that you would help us to be, Lord, submissive to the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind the authority of the word. May it be, thus saith the Lord. And Lord, may we get a good vision of you this morning that may help us, Lord, as we continue to serve you. And so we commit these things to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah begins 
uh, what is undoubtedly a remarkable chapter with what we could call a sublime fusion. He says in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. He just off the cuff speaks of two different worlds in one sentence. Now one of those worlds is not real and the other figurative. One of those worlds is not history and the other mythology. What we see here is that Isaiah speaks of the Lord of heaven reigning in the context of the reign of the kings of the earth. And so he speaks about the Lord being a part of the world in which we live. At the time of this revelation that Isaiah gives in chapter 6 was also significant. King Uzziah had reigned for 52 years in the kingdom of Judah. That was the second longest reigning king in either Israel or in Judah, and so it was pretty significant. The reign of King Uzziah, especially at the beginning, was characterized by stability. It was characterized by um, dominance in the region, and also by godliness, especially at the beginning of his reign. Now, if we know anything about the history of King Uzziah, we know that towards the end of his reign, his heart was lifted up in pride, and he tried to make a sacrifice for which he was struck down with leprosy because he wasn't a priest. And so in the year that King Uzziah died, Judah was on a downward spiral. It was in a tailspin, if you will. They had started off well, in that reign, but things had fallen apart towards the end of King Uzziah's reign, and now King Uzziah had died. The end of a long, stable reign had come. Israel, the northern kingdom, had also recently left a stable period, and they had just been through six kings in 15 years. That's pretty quick succession. And so with the death of King Uzziah, Isaiah was given a vision, and significantly, it is of the Lord sitting upon an unchanging throne in the eternal heavens. That's not a coincidence. Chapter 6 is about Isaiah's call to the ministry. And I think this morning, as I mentioned before, as we think about the ministry of a church, <laughs> we think on a church anniversary about continuing that ministry for yet another year. We ought to draw some valuable lessons from Isaiah's call to the ministry. We ought to look at how God was able to draw one of his servants and then commission him into a fruitful ministry. This chapter shows us a lot of things, a lot of things that we don't have time to look at today. <laughs> we see how to prepare for ministry. Uh, we see how we can identify ministry. We see the expectations we ought to have for ministry and how we should view our ministry through the eyes of the Lord. And this morning we're just going to have a look at one lesson that we can learn from Isaiah's call to the ministry. And that has to do with Isaiah's preparation for the ministry. So this morning let's just take a look at a humbling vision. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, we just read, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. It says, Isaiah saw the Lord. We're used to that statement, aren't we? 
But what would you say if I walked into you this morning and said, I saw the Lord this morning? It's not normal. <laughs> it's not normal. The vision is not explained. We don't know whether this was a dream. We don't know whether it was a trance. We don't know whether he went on some spiritual journey like we might say Ezekiel took. But we know that he saw the Lord in some way through some method. And in that vision, we see three features of the Lord. First of all, the Lord was sitting upon a throne. This pictures that the Lord has authority. We see that the Lord was high and lifted up. So he sat not only upon a throne of authority, but he was in an elevated position. He was sitting high and lifted up above Isaiah's view. That signifies the superiority of the throne of the Lord and the Lord who sits upon the throne as well. And thirdly, his train filled the temple. Now, uh, the word train talks about something that is being pulled along in succession. So we might say that um, a bunch of carriages shackled together to an engine is a train because it's all being pulled along together. We would know that uh, as a bride walks down the aisle, uh, her train follows behind because it's being pulled behind along. And so the idea here is similarly probably of a king as they walk and their long robe behind them is a long train and it follows behind. And his train fills the temple. Now perhaps this is trying to suggest to us that there is some distance between Isaiah and the throne. So the long train that comes from the Lord filled the temple and then he was viewing the Lord from there. Now it's interesting that Isaiah doesn't comment on the Lord's crown, doesn't comment on the Lord's breastplate or any other thing that you might need to be up close to the king to be able to view, but that he comments on the Lord's train. It's probably another reference of humility. Now the temple that's referred to here could be an earthly one, picturing the Lord's future coming to sit upon a throne of authority in his kingdom. Or it could be a vision of the temple in heaven that's spoken of in Revelation chapter 11 of which the earthly temple was a picture. But what's important is that the vision is not about the train, the vision is not about the throne, the vision is not about the temple, the vision is about the Lord. Now along with the Lord who sat upon the throne there are also some striking ministers in his presence as well. And we read about those in verse 2. It says, Above it, that's above the throne, stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain, or with two, he covered his face. With twain, he covered his feet. And with twain, he did fly. The word seraphims means fiery ones. They are angelic ministers that serve the God who is a consuming fire. And so they uh, some of God's characteristic is translated into the messengers who act on his behalf. They had faces, they had feet, they had voices. And so at least in part, they were sort of human-like in their representation. With two of their wings, they covered their faces, which shows that they give deference to the Lord. We're not as great as him, so we'll cover our face. With two, they covered their feet, this 
it has been suggested by some commentators as the only part of them that was showing beyond their garments. And so they sort of covered up any part of them that might have been left. The Lord was the one to be seen. They were not worthy to be seen, even though they themselves were magnificent creatures. And with two, they flew. Which shows that they were still ministering for the Lord while they maintained their reverence and while they maintained their humility. They continued their service for the Lord. And their famous cry is quoted in verse 3. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3 says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, it was interesting, the choir came up and sang just before. That was beautiful and appreciated for our service this morning. This is a choir direction in verse 3. It talks about how this performance occurred it says one cried unto another so it's not just that all of the seraphim sang at once the idea here is something that was pretty common especially in ancient chanting and certainly in the jewish temple it's called antiphonal singing and it's where one group sings one part and the other group sings another part and it's like they're responding one to another now the question is um, perhaps they, one group was singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and then the other group would respond the whole earth is full of his glory. Or perhaps one group would sing the whole thing holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and then the other group would respond in like kind saying the same thing back. But the idea is that as one group cried the other group cried and then the other group cried and then the other group cried so you've got this continual praise that's being echoed back and forth in the presence of the Lord. One cried unto another. And their cry was, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the, that word Lord, the title, is the covenant name Jehovah. And the Lord of hosts is speaking about that Lord of the armies, or the Lord of kingdoms, the Lord of multitudes. Holy is the Lord of the covenant who will powerfully judge is probably the idea that's being conveyed in this word. He is perfect. He is spotless. He is unique. He is set apart. Holy is the Lord. But it doesn't just say holy is the Lord, does it? It says holy, holy, holy is the Lord stated three times and Isaiah doesn't take just a little deviation and say now I mentioned this three times or it was mentioned three times because and an explanation is given we're left to speculate as to why this is repeated three times now if a word is repeated three times we usually know it's important that's one way that we can understand what the Lord is doing here um, if your parent gives you an instruction three times then you know that that one is really important <laughs> make sure you don't leave it undone and the Lord is I suppose in that vein not just over the line when it comes to holiness you know we know what holiness is we're not just saying the Lord is just holy but the Lord is holy 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 he's definitely holy and some he's not even just holy holy but the obvious 
application is because the Godhead is a trinity, thrice holy may also refer to him being harmoniously holy. That the Father, the Son and the Spirit which is spoken, who are spoken of throughout the rest of scripture are all holy. And this is something that's obvious to us who have been in church and who are acquainted with the idea of God for some time but it's not obvious in all the other religions around the world. You think of how many other religions around the world have the idea of yin and yang or of darkness and light and how the integ integration of those two things creates divinity or the religion itself. What God is saying here about himself is that I'm not made up of light and darkness. I'm not made up of this fight between good and bad. I am holy throughout. I am holy, holy, holy. Every part, every person is holy. Now this verse, I wouldn't suggest, is conclusive proof for the Trinity by itself. But it's certainly consistent with the biblical doctrine of the Trinity and it certainly fits with the Godhead being holy. Now the seraphims go on then to conclude their song with the whole earth is full of his glory. This little comment sort of helped me to understand um, maybe what's meant by this statement. Um, his glory, Kiel and Delich make this point, they say his glory is his manifested holiness. That sort of helped me. So. Holiness is something that God is, but glory is the manifestation or the display of that holiness. As we see the Lord's glory, it comes out of him being holy. And this message was really meaningful for Isaiah because at this time the whole earth wasn't yet full of the glory, the brightness, the shining of the Lord. That was the plan. <laughs> That's where God's counsels and God's will were headed. The whole earth would be full of his glory. But that was part of his ministry. Let me read this quote from Kiel and Delich again. They make this point and I think it states it much better than I could. The design of all the work of God is that his holiness should become universally manifest. Or what is the same thing, that his glory should become the fullness of the whole earth. This design of the work of God stands before God as eternally present. That is, this work is going to be completed, so in God's eyes it is completed. And the seraphim also have it ever before them in its ultimate completion as the theme of their song of praise. But Isaiah was a man living in the very midst of the history that was moving on towards this goal. And the cry of the seraphim in the precise form in which it reached him showed him to what it would eventually come on earth. It sort of would have left Isaiah with a thought similar to what we read in the Gospels where it says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that thy glory may fill the earth. That's the mission of God. 
Just moving on, one final little point before we try and make some applications on this. The power of the seraphim's message is pictured in verse 4. It says, The posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. The temple shook at these words. Think about that for a minute. The temple shook as these words were uttered. And the temple smoked at the voices of the message about the holiness of the Lord. I think we would all agree this is a really impressive scene. Very impressive. Thinking about the one seated upon the throne. Thinking about how that train filled the temple. Thinking about those striking angelic messengers and their words and the consequence of their words upon the temple, the shaking and the smoking. The whole scene is, is really powerful. Capture that powerful scene in your mind and let's ask this question. Who did Isaiah see? It's the Lord. We know that, right? But let's go further. Who specifically did Isaiah see? Well, let's turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 Verses 37 to 41. Preachers really love when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament. <laughs> it's the best commentary there is. John chapter 12, verse 37, it says, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 38, That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes, and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. That quote comes, the verse 40 quote comes a little bit later in chapter 6. And then look at verse 41. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. That's interesting. We're talking about who the Lord Jesus Christ is in verse 12. And to figure out who the, who, who the Lord Jesus Christ is in John chapter 12, John quotes Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. And he says, very interestingly there in verse 41, these things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Whose glory did he see? The Son of God. That's who he saw. High and lifted up. Let me read a quote from Albert Barnes. He sees the same thing. It says, John affirms that it was the glory of the Messiah that Isaiah saw. And yet Isaiah affirms that it was Jehovah, the Lord. And from this, the inference is irresistible that John regarded Jesus as the Jehovah whom Isaiah saw. The Lord who was high and lifted up was the Son of God. Either the triune God and the Son was there, 
or the Son of God as the manifested person of God ruling. But regardless, Isaiah saw the glory of the Son of God. John 12 makes that really clear. That would be a really impressive sight. That would strike us. And it would be a feast for the senses, wouldn't it? Look at the power. Look at the holiness. Look at those creatures. Look at it all put together. Isn't that amazing? What's even more interesting is that for Isaiah, this was more than a wow moment. This was a woe moment. And that's telling. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Confronted with the holiness of the Lord, Isaiah was immediately confronted with his own sin. Firstly, he was conscious of his personal sin. He says, woe is me, first person. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. Even the prophet of God, probably one of the best in his generation, recognized that in the face of such holiness and greatness, he was undone. He said, woe is me. This meant that he was aware that he was in danger of judgment because he was in the presence of God and he was a sinner. Isaiah feared dying because he, a sinful man, had seen the Lord. He was undone in God's presence. Now why he didn't die in the presence of the Lord may be down to the fact that it was a vision of the Lord. Or perhaps it was particularly the glory of Christ that he witnessed and that is God revealed to us. But it's clear that God revealed himself to the prophet for his good, not for his undoing. God didn't show himself to Isaiah to kill him, <laughs> despite Isaiah's fear. But Isaiah goes further than saying, woe is me for I am a sinner, generally. He goes on and says, I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah was drawn to the words that he had used. He was drawn to the uncleanness of his speech. Now perhaps this was a problem for Isaiah. Um, and probably this is the most common of sins. <laughs> James chapter 3 and verse 2, I'll read it to you. It says, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word... The same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. That, that saying, if you can control your mouth, the rest of your body's fine. <laughs> That's very hard to bridle. And yet Jesus reminded us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So Isaiah's unclean lips were not just a lip problem. They were a heart problem that came out at his lips. And so Isaiah saw himself, well, is me, for I'm a man undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. But he also saw that he dwelt in a nation that had a problem. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now, we could read this and think, ah, oh, okay, so Isaiah's trying to get himself out of trouble by um, blaming everybody else as well. I'm a man of unclean lips, but Lord, just remember that everybody else is a sinner too. 
But he wasn't saying that. He included himself with the sins of the nation. The whole nation has sinned before you, Lord, but first of all, I've sinned before you. He's not looking for a way out. He's owning up to his own sin before the Lord in the context of the whole nation's sin. When Isaiah saw the Lord, his first instinct wasn't for three wishes. I've got God here. What can I get out of him? His first instinct wasn't to demand an explanation of his works. Lord, you need to explain to me why my childhood was so hard. Lord, you need to give me an explanation for why there's nobody else standing beside me in this ministry that I've put my hand up for, or will. When Isaiah saw the Lord, his first demand was not to see the Lord bless his people. Lord, now I've got hold of you. I want you to bless this nation. I want you to look after my family. I want you to provide for all of these things. There were no demands on the lips of the prophet. And such was the result of seeing the Lord in his glory. And this is the point that I want to bring us to, to conclude. We show by our attitude just how much our eyes are upon the Lord's glory. It is impossible to separate a sight from God from a sense of sin. Those who are truly dwelling with God, those who are truly walking with God, they're going to be characterized by humility, not by pride. You can't have a good view of God. You can't be acquainted with the glory of God and be proud. They don't go together. Even the pure seraphim showed reverence and humility in the presence of God. So if, if I'm a proud Christian, then there's something wrong with my view of God. And this was the lesson that God had for Isaiah. There could be no service, which is going to come in a minute, until he learned this lesson. And here's the reminder for us this morning. A servant of God who has lost sight of who God is, is going to get lost in God's service. They're going to have troubles going on serving the Lord. We'll get lost in our own pride. Lord, look at what I'm doing for you. Lord, why aren't people recognizing what I'm doing for you? Perhaps in the Lord's ministry, we'll get lost in the sins and the failings of other people. Lord, look at what they're doing. Why can't they be better at doing this? Why aren't other people like I am? Or maybe we'll get lost in the difficulties of the task. Lord, this mission that you've given to me is too great for me. Why are you calling me to give up so much? Or perhaps even just simply we get lost in the world into which we are sent. We get sent to minister to the world, but the world starts to look really, really appealing. One person said it this way. Those to whom he reveals himself most fully are most humble. And those whom he exalts most are most ready to serve. So, serving God is great. And we look forward to Clarence Valley Baptist Church celebrating its 37th church anniversary.
We'll look forward to more and more and more years of service. But in serving the Lord, let's not forget the Lord who we serve. He's the Lord of hosts. He's holy, holy, holy. He is high and lifted up. And our mission, no matter where we are, is that the whole earth will be filled with his glory. That's the reason for our service. Later on, we're going to have a look in our next service at some other lessons that Isaiah learned in order to be a good servant of the Lord. But it all starts with a proper vision of the God that we serve. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, um, that as we see who you are in the scriptures, that you would be willing to accept people like us to be in your presence. Lord, we thank you that um, we're able to call you our master. Thank you, Lord, that we're able to serve you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember who you are. Help us to remember, Lord, um, what we are before you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be about the business of magnifying the glory of the Lord in all the earth. Thank you for our time together in the word this morning. I pray that it would be the word of God that lingers in our hearts and help us to remember you, Lord, as we go about the rest of our day. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.